Optophobia, the fear of opening one's eyes. This podcast is dedicated to encouraging you, our listeners, to move beyond that fear, to solve riddles they don't want us to unriddle, to investigate supposedly ironclad truths, to unearth evidence buried for so long they believed it would stay buried. Season 4. It's likely you've never heard of the most important movie of 1989. That's because in the end, Relentless was just another forgotten 1980s slasher film. But director William Lustig's original plan could have changed cinematic history forever. Lustig flavored his movie with enough subliminal messaging to spark mass murder by hundreds of wannabe serial killers sitting in the nation's theaters that summer. Why didn't it work? And why is Lustig still taking lunch meetings in Hollywood rather than rotting in jail? This season on Optophobia, we'll track down the distortions, the assumptions, the omissions. Are you bored by the lies? Open your eyes. Hi, everybody. I am your host, Noel Shemsky. We have a really exciting show today. Our guest has a direct and visceral connection to the movie Relentless from her teenage years. Um, the movie had quite an impact on her at the time, and it has stayed with her ever since. So we're going to talk to her. But before we do, I want to welcome my co-host for this week, Lydia Coffee Mate. Hi, Lydia. Hi, Malshemsky. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing all right. I've had a, a very, you know, a very interesting week. <laughs> did you? What did you do? I really went and I looked in all those documents I have from Relentless. Oh, yeah. And I'm telling you what, people just poured their heart out to Lustig and to Paul Hertzberg, the producer of the film, and was just telling them all their insights about how they watched the film and they felt these really sick urges. How much documentation did you dig up? So much. I mean, I've got like, you know, those boxes. Well, you wouldn't know. It's in. It's. I guess maybe it's specific to Bella Vista. But they. So back behind the post office, I'd say they're probably about like five feet tall and seven feet wide. The boxes. The boxes. Okay. And I've got basically one of those three quarters of the way filled with stuff. Stuff from the movie. Absolutely. Yes. These are letters to. The producer and the director. They are letters to Lustig and letters to Paul Hertzberg, the producer, and just saying, like, I watched the movie. I feel so different after. I don't know necessarily why I feel violent now, but I do. And I, and I have I have made the effort to secure some weaponry, either in an in-person exchange or an online exchange, which back then online exchanges would have been way sketchier than they are today. It wouldn't have shown up to their house like something on Amazon Prime or something. Yeah, so people just really talking about the subliminal messaging. You know, I wonder if what you're finding is further evidence that not only did Lustig know exactly what he was doing, but he can't claim that he didn't know that it was working, right? Like if these are people confessing to him, they're urges 
to kill after watching this movie addressed to him addressed to the producer it, it feels like he's you know he's got complete deniability because maybe it wasn't his overt intention but if it was a secret intention nobody has any proof that's some good uh sleuthing i I still got a couple more things to go through it's a really big box and again it's been a busy week but you know i'll have some more time in the next couple of weeks to kind of just divvy through some more stuff okay good well uh let's get to our guest because her story is pretty incredible as well uh unfortunately the guest that we had scheduled to talk to this week, Hooper, Nebraska-based surf shop owner Jermaine Schwitz was unable to make it. It seems the Little Caesars slasher, whose real name is Wally Porchevsky, is an optophobia listener, and he heard our show last week where we talked about one of his attempted murders. So Wally reached out to Jermaine to apologize for trying to slash him and his girlfriend with crazy bread and the two were going to go for pizza at the same time that our show is recording right now. So he wasn't going to be able to be on. But we will try to get Jermaine and maybe Wally, too. It would be sort of fun to have them both on the show soon. However, we were super lucky at the very last second to set up an interview with a great guest joining us from her home in Claymont, Delaware, Jerry Jones is with us. Jerry, welcome to Optophobia. Thank you, Noel, and thank you, Lydia. I am very happy to be here. Tell us a little bit about Delaware. Are you from there originally? Did you grow up there? Oh, Noel. I went a lot of places growing up. My mother was actually a traveling saleswoman. Oh. Single mom raised me alone, traveling saleswoman. We traveled from Atlanta to Claymont over the course of three years. It wasn't that you went back and forth, but you got from Atlanta to Delaware to Claymont in three years. That's right. And stopping along the way for your mom to sell. What was she selling? Uh, pants and stovetop cookery. That is a unique combination. I love both of those things. Me too. And it turns out, so does the Southeast United States. So that was her territory. Yes. Did she have a specific name for her business? Yeah. It was Susie's Pants and Cook Things. I love that. Yeah. Susie with a Z. And how old were you during those three years? Oh, that was from the age of 10 until about, I guess it was 13 or 13 and a half. Okay. And so those are pretty formative years to be on the road with your mom selling pants. Mm. I learned a lot about pants. Not so much the cookery side of things, because that's more of an adult pastime. But I can tell you about the hemline of women's pants. What could you tell us? Well, what couldn't I tell you, Noel? Let me start with this. The optimal width of a hemline on, a let's say, a pair of denim jeans. You all have denim jeans. I love denim jeans. Thank you, Lydia. You look like a denim jeans girl. Oh, you know what? I feel like the best thing that ever happened to me in my life is when denim jeans became high-waisted. Me too. Sisters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, less than an inch. You don't want it to be more than an inch. It's too floppy. Oh, I hate a floppy ham. Anyway, that's just one little factoid for you. Fun. And so when you, you're, you and your mom got to Delaware, and so you've been there since you were 13 or 14 years old. Yeah. You know, we have been in Claymont since that time. We've lived in a few different 
areas, but right now we're living, you know, I'm still living in the house that we ended up in right off of main street. I've got my neighbor, Bob, he's been there a while. And did you go into, as an adult, did you go into the same business as your mom? Did you, do you sell pants? And cookware? No. I didn't have it in me. And that did cause a rift between us for several years before she passed away. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, thank you. But actually, you know, those were formative years on the road. And what I really came to love was wheels. Oh, because you drove so much with your mom. We drove everywhere and I had to learn how to fix a flat car tire at the age of 10. That's a that's a skill that I still have not myself acquired. So I, I really respect and admire you for that. Thank you. It wasn't easy learning my first one on the interstate, but I did it. I have since downsized to bicycles because I find them to be more exciting. And I like the people better. Because you're closer to the actual wheel. I mean, at physical distance, but also just it must feel a little bit more intimate, you and the wheel. That's exactly right, Noel. You must be a bike guy yourself. I, I cycle. See, you get it. You get it. Get up close and personal. Feel the rubber on your hands. Bend it. Squeeze it. So wheels became important to you too. I like to watch it spin. I get satisfaction when it's spinning well. And I get satisfaction from fixing it and making it spin well. So you are, you fix wheels for a living. I fix bicycle wheels, exclusively wheels. I I don't fix the rest of the bicycle. That was going to be my question if you had like a bike shop or, but it seems like kind of what you're saying is like you're an ad hoc freelance wheel tech. That's exactly right, Lydia. You are sharp. I have a mobile bicycle shop. That would make sense that your wheel shop is mobile. Wheel shop. That's exactly right. I misspoke. I get excited. (gasps) Spoke. Misspoke. I wish I could claim that that was on purpose and I will. Okay, you do it. I'll let you. Yeah, thank you. I've got a mobile bicycle shop. We operate out of the Food Lion parking lot every Tuesday and Thursday. Good potato salad. It is called Wheels on wheels. Ah, so it's it's like an exponential wheel thing. You your love for wheels has doubled because you're fixing wheels and you are mobile. That's right. No. So you're based in the food line parking lot. Yes. But yes. do you move around the town also to help people fix or do they come to you? They come to me. It may seem counterintuitive given that I'm based side of a van, but I find it to be much easier for me and my clients if I just stay in one place. Yeah, I understand it may seem ridiculous to you that I have a van and I don't move it, but I just like my spot at the Food Lion. I like the hot food bar at the Food Lion. Why should I go anywhere else? I'm sorry I get heated about that. Don't don't get heated. And the food bar at the Food Lion is heated enough. <laughs> if your Food Lion's like my Food Lion in Bella Vista, I'm telling you, they have got some treats. Oh, I love the option of having a little bit of hot breakfast and a little bit of Chinese food at the same time. And some cold salad if you want it. Oh, my God. Exactly. Right there, Lydia. Yeah. Sisters, you love it, too. See, I never had a sister. Okay, let's take a quick break and we will be right <laughs> and we will be right back with our guest this week, Jerry Jones. We'll be right back. Hey Optophobes. Most recipes come about because a seasoned chef with an ocean of ingredient knowledge knows which flavors are going to complement one another. 
Even then, it can take dozens of tries before the proportions of those ingredients come together perfectly. At Blend Venom Solutions, we do things a little differently. When we were creating Meat Pops, our new line of lunch meat flavored sodas, we had one funny conversation that led to the creation of a new Meat Pop. We were in the test kitchen at the Polyps at Jonathan Winters Elder Care Community in Shalimar County, Florida, also known as Blend Venom Solutions HQ. And by the way, when I say test kitchen, I mean we were sitting around the crock pot in Beverly Marabone's room at the Polyps at Jonathan Winters Elder Care Community. Anyway, someone said, what actually is roast beef? There followed some debate, some laughter, and eventually some surprisingly aggressive scratching. Then someone else said, what's in cream ale? Everyone agreed that the words beef and cream were funny enough on their own, but gut-busting when you say them together. So we liquefied some roast beef, added an equal amount of cream ale, mixed in some venom from the eastern green mamba, threw it in a bottle, and slapped on a label. Roast beef cream ale. Then we tried it, and most of us threw up a little, but it was hard to tell if that was because the drink is disgusting or if saying beef and cream together a bunch of times is just plain funny. Blend Venom Solutions. We take away your thirst using snakes. Okay, we are back with our guest this week, Jerry Jones. Jerry, we were talking a little bit about your career as a wheel, a mobile wheel repair owner. So tell us a little bit about your connection to the movie Relentless. I would love to do that, Noel. And again, thank you both for having me today to talk about this. Absolutely. You know, when when I watched Relentless, it was 1991. So that was a while ago. But that was a dark time for me that year in particular was not good. I had a bad haircut. My best friend had just left town. The food lion had just come to town and I had not yet established my love for food lion. I was upset because the other grocery store was gone. And so I was in a rough spot, but my friend, And I one day came across this movie, Relentless, and we thought, let's watch this. How old were you, Jerry, when when you saw the movie? Oh, I must have been 15. Okay, so you are now in Delaware. Yes. And you had said that your best friend moved away, right? Yes. So this was a new friend or was it? My second number two. Okay, gotcha. Did they know they were your number two? They are finding out via this podcast okay so you guys watched the movie together yes in my basement i remember this vividly and i mean you all know how it goes there's a lot of calling of people in the movie there's no real method to the madness randomly choosing people and I got excited by that a little bit. It really brought up something inside of me and it gave me something to work toward, something to like take out my anger about the haircut and the food line and my best friend. And so I thought that seemed like a, a good idea, you know? So Relentless was in- inspirational to you. This was, a, uh, I mean, built as a scary movie, but to you, uh, 15 year old Jerry Jones, you were 
inspired by it. Yeah. And I don't like to talk about it. Some, you know, unless, unless people get it again, like you guys do, because it makes me sound like a, you know, a crazy murderer. Yeah. I mean, and I, I totally get it. There's so many people that were plagued after watching this film and just had these urges. What things specifically of the, you know, going through the phone books and picking people at random, are you saying it was just are you a pure projection of your anger and upset nature to like want to map that onto randos? Yeah. Well, first of all, I didn't know anyone else in town to take out my anger on. It was just your mom and your number one, and your number two, and your number one was gone. That's right. And so in that way, I thought, this seems like a good way to find people to take it out on. But I'm going to be honest with you. I did not have a phone book. Couldn't find it. Might have gotten lost when they dropped it off. I don't know. I didn't find it. So, you know, in the absence of a phone book, I'm going to tell you the truth. I forgot about it for about a day and a half. It brought up something in me. forgot about it. The next day, we were out dumpster diving because, you know, that's what 15-year-olds do in Claymont, Delaware on a Saturday afternoon after it's been raining for three days straight and you need to get out of the house. And so we were out behind the food lion and I found in the dumpster a Rolodex. Do you two remember Rolodexes? Absolutely. Sure circular like a bike wheel flips around yeah yeah i have a rolodex now but it's virtual it's like digital so it's just a little app and it's called it's called rolodexer and you open up rolodexer and it kind of just spins and you can find your contacts i'll send you guys the link that's dangerous news for me to have lydia that could really bring up something for me here bring up some past urges so oh god i'm so sorry i did not mean to be triggering in that moment in time it's fine i forgive you you didn't mean it keep going i'm so sorry i interrupted with my little trivial story about me relating to your rolodex i found this rolodex and immediately my mind went back to a day and a half earlier when we had been watching the movie and i said this is it this is how I do this. I don't have a phone book, but I have a Rolodex full of people I don't know. Oh, wow. So I am going to be honest with you. I flipped through that, ripped off a card without looking at it. It was blank. I did it again. It actually took several tries. It was it was a lot of emptiness in that Rolodex. Third or fourth try, I grabbed one, saw some writing on it, and... <sighs> I went alone to the location written on the card. And I have to tell you, the truth is that I went there with the intention to cause some problems for this person. And I would never, ever, ever say that I was going to murder someone on a recorded podcast like this. Understood. But let's just say I went there with ill intentions. And you had never in your life up to this point never had any of these urges? No. I have been quite placid even in my weird existence not knowing anyone i was content until about a couple weeks before this when all these events started happening the hairdo food lion best friends town this is hard for a 15 year old i snapped jerry where was the address that you went to was it also was it in town or was it outside of town it was on the border of Claymont and Wilmington. 
but I would say it was on the Claymont side of the line. And the address itself said Claymont. So you went there with, as your words, ill intention. Did you meet this person? Oh, you could say that. Yeah. I walked up to that house and it was daytime. It was daytime. I often wonder what I was thinking. It was 3 p.m. I walked up to this house and I went and I knocked on the door and I heard a woman's voice say, come around back. I'm in the garden. And so I did that. Mind you, all I had was a stapler with me. It was with, I found it with the Rolodex. So I went around back with the stapler and I get back there and this woman was there, 70 years old. Her name was Patty. For the sake of anonymity for Patty, I will not tell you her last or middle name. I went up to Patty with this stapler, not even saying any words to her. And I went up to her and what I did was I, you know, you can unfold the stapler. So then it goes, you get up against the wall. So I did that, and I just I just hit her in the arm with it. I think that's called the aggressor position of the stapler. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. And she all she did was just, she looked at me at first for a second. She was down, she was bent over some hydrangeas, of all things. The most delicate of flowers. The most delicate of flowers, just like Patty. And she just looked up at me and said, what are you doing? What? is what are you doing? Can I help you? And I just, I dropped the stapler immediately and put my hands up in the air. And I said, I was here to cause mischief. That's what I said to her. And, and she just, she, you know, she kept on kind of looking at me for a bit. And then she asked me if I wanted lemonade, thoughtful lemonade after I struck her in the arm. Long story short, Patty ended up, being my gardener until today. Patty's still your gardener. She's still my gardener. She's getting up there. You you said until today, so I was a little worried if like something happened to her today. Like, do you need to leave early? She she quit this morning. Oh God. Yeah. I mean it's it's a retirement, really. She retired this morning. At 100. Yeah. Holy crap. She's in great shape. Well, the thing is, is the hydrangeas themselves are delicate, but their roots are strong. Mm. So it would make sense. So what you're saying, Jerry, is that you assaulted this woman with the aggressive stance of a stapler because your life was kind of spiraling, if, you know, if you'll let me say that. Yeah, please do. And you were inspired by Relentless to cause harm and an ill will on someone else. And she just, she asked you a simple question of why are you doing this? And then basically turned the other cheek. Yeah. You're lucky, Jerry Jones. Well, that wasn't the only time. I've been very lucky in my life. Oh, that was just the first time that you visited somebody with intent to cause mischief. First of five. Kept going back. Was a stapler involved in each? No, it was, it was a different you know, implement each time. I never really got to the the right one, if I'm being honest with you. But Patty was the first. Yeah, she was my first one. You know, you would think if if that one went like it did, maybe I would be discouraged, but not in my 15-year-old brain. Did the other four attempts happen within your 15th year? They happened, I believe, between 15 
and 18. It was maybe about one a year, plus or minus. And was the Rolodex involved in each of the other attempts? Yes. I brought that Rolodex home with me, and I shoved it in a drawer. And then what happened was every time I would do spring cleaning, I would find the Rolodex again. And then my brain would just go right back to that same space as when I was 15. So the temptation came from the wheel of the Rolodex. That's exactly right. I wonder if that's connected to your wheel, your wheel job. I wouldn't rule it out. I like circulars. I like pizza. That's another circle thing. I like, I like to be in the sunlight. The sun is basically a circle from our view. Spherical in nature, yeah. How did the other potential victims react when you approached them with however you approach them. Let's see if I can remember, you know, the exact details of each of these, you know, that's my second one. I would say approximately year 16. That was the year I got my driver's license. Congratulations. Thank you. You know, that year I remember taking my Rolodex, getting in my car and then driving to the address on the Rolodex paper. That time I found it on the first try. And what I used that time, I believe, was the cup holder on the inside of my car. And I just, I tore it out. It was very loose and you could easily, you know, take it out. And so I just took that and I went upstairs. I got into this apartment building, went up to the third floor and uh, I knocked on the door. I think it was 304B the apartment and long story short i met the man who was my partner for many years after that oh oh my just from it who lived in happened to live in 304 bay yeah i went up there with the intent to cause mischief with him with my car cup holder this hard plastic and just like last time all i thought to do was just hit him on the shoulder with it and he, you know, he got louder with me than Patty had. He said, why? Who are you? You know, questions, good questions. He's a very smart man. And I said, I came here with the intent to be mischievous. And then I just kissed him. <gasps> that was actually my first kiss at age 16. It's romantic. You were 16. They were how old? 18. Okay. Yeah. I didn't want to assume, but I just wanted to be sure that it was kosher for all of our listeners. What's his name, Jerry? George. And what did George think the next time that you tried to cause mischief? Did he know that you had kind of a pattern? Well, much like in the case of my number two best friend, George is learning about this right now via this podcast. So... George, I'm so sorry about this, and I will explain to you when I get home. He didn't know. I. This was a secret that I have had buried for a very long time. We are so thankful that you feel vulnerable enough with us to just really share yourself and your experience, the trauma and the triggering tendencies that Relentless has created for you, and and it, honestly, as soon as you said 304B, all I could think of was, okay, somewhere in that 5 by 7 box recently, I was reading something. And I swear, I remember exactly what it was. The number of the set 
that we that Relentless was filmed on, mm-hmm. and 304A was taken for some type of. I think it was honestly. I think it was some type of beautiful romantic comedy, uh, and so that one was not in the running for us. But we were in 304B. Wow, that was where Relentless the film was set. And so the fact that that's the Rolodex paper you found on the second try or the second attempt to cause mischief. Mm, yes. That it just happened to be 304B. Spooky. I had no idea. That seems like a very clear connection to me. Unfortunately, Jerry, we're going to have to wrap it up. But I, I wanted to see if we could ask you one more question. Sure. Do you feel in any way like... William Lustig, the director of Relentless, should be held to account for the suffering that he caused you as somebody who was this influenced by uh, his movie and, and, you know, who for years tried to cause mischief by hitting people in the arm with uh, different implements. You know, I think what Mr. Lustig tried to do was malicious. But in my case, I met not only the best gardener I've ever had in my life, my husband, a new hairstylist, which I very badly needed at the time, um, a priest who ended up marrying George and I. And then lastly, and this this may be craziest to you all, but I found my long lost father. (gasps) Yeah. So you tried to cause mischief to somebody from the Rolodex and he ended up being your father. That's exactly right. So it's hard for me to say that Mr. Lustig should be held accountable when I have had so many great things come out of it, but I do believe he has some malicious intent. Does your father figure live close by in Claymont, Delaware? Yes. He actually lived only a couple blocks away from me. On the Claymont side or the Wilmington side? He's on the Wilmington side. Oh, wow. Okay. Good question. Maybe we'll have to have you back, Jerry. That's just amazing. Well, anytime. You just let me know. Well, I want to thank our guest this week, Jerry Jones. Jerry, thank you for coming on uh, and telling us your story that you hadn't even told your husband yet. Again, George, very sorry, hon. And to my co-host, as always, Lydia Coffey-Matei. Thank you, Lydia. Of course, Nolshemsky. Please join us next week when our guest will be Bernadette Seymour who is head of the yard crew at the Rusty Anchor Marina in Delray Beach, Florida. Bernadette was a production assistant on several of William Lustig's films, including Undead and Uncaged, Las Feas Mujeres Vampiro, and Cannibal Sushi, before he made Relentless. Thank you for listening to Optophobia. I'm your host, Noel Shemsky, and I'll leave you with this. Before reaching the finish line... Turn around and give a little jiggle. If you've got a connection to Relentless, we'd like to hear it. You can find us on our website, optophobia.org, or on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at at optophobes. And please subscribe and rate the show if you like it. Thank you to Jenny Koch who played Jerry Jones. Jenny performs with improv teams The Quitters and The Lodge. Thank you to Aaron Murray, who played Lydia Coffey Matei. Aaron performs with Madeline, a Washington Improv Theater house ensemble, and The Lodge. 
Follow her on Instagram at at Murray. Optophobia was produced by Tim Townsend. Music was composed by Bart Warshaw. Cover art by Claire Smalley. Additional website art by Nicole Bennett. Website by Chance Griffin. Thanks for listening. Until next week, keep them open. Keep them open.